Metal Mike here, and it's time for us to rock the night, people, because we've got Ian McHoglin, the amazing drummer from Europe, with us. We hear what Europe's been up to, and we revisit the classic albums like The Final Countdown, Out of This World, and Prisoners in Paradise. Hey, are you digging the show? Well, consider being a supporter through Anchor. There's a link in the description. Now check out the interview. Well, Ian, welcome to the 80s Glam Metal Cast, man. How are you? Thanks, man. Thanks. I'm fine. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, you're welcome. So you guys have been doing some shows, right? How's that been going? Oh, yeah, that's right. We we uh, we just uh, did two shows in, in Finland, two um, festivals. And, um, yeah, those are actually the first shows we do in, you know, one and a half year or, wow. or so. So uh, it's, um, it was it was a little, you know, like uh, trying to learn to walk again. But, <laughs> but I think we, I think, I think we did quite fine actually. The the uh, the audience were were great and supportive, and and you know the the, the Finnish people they just love their their rock music, and uh, so they they were a great support. I think, but well. you know, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, I think as as much as you guys are probably eager to get back out there, the fans are are just as eager to to hear music live again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you can tell because people are, you know, uh, Finnish people are usually quite wild, but they were a bit extra wild this time. So, <laughs> yeah, you can tell that it's been, uh, you know, it's people have been you know longing for a long time now. Oh, what's the COVID? How's COVID uh, in like Sweden and Finland and, and where you are? How are the numbers? I'm not sure about the numbers. I'm, I'm actually I'm I'm, I'm kind of um, trying not to be too you know deep into that because yeah I think it's just depressing you know I'm, oh, I'm yeah. just trying to I'm just trying to hover above it and and you know hear the general news about it but I think it's. Uh, I think my, from what I understand, it's it's kind of um, you know getting a bit stable in in Sweden in in, in any way. Um, I guess I guess most people uh, are vaccinated, so it's it seems to be going the right way. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what's so? What's going on with new music? Have you guys had? I mean, you've had some downtime. Have you been working on new music? Are there any plans for a new album in the future? Well, I know that I, I know that the guys have been uh, writing new songs, but we haven't. We haven't really tried out anything, or or you know worked on anything as as a, as a unit uh, just yet. But you know, I I spoke to Joe and he had you know he, he said that he just started to get in in the mood again to 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 you know start writing music. And I guess it's been you know kind of uh, everybody's just been in in their in their cave sort yes. of for, for these one and a half years and, and just. Uh, so it, I think it's it's more about trying to get uh, you know the forces together again and, and start being creative. But we definitely are talking about it, and and um, I guess I guess uh, next year is going to be a, a lot more busy if if everything is going the right way with the pandemic and everything. So I guess next year would be a good a good year to to make new music i mean to record a new album and to get it out when you look back at your catalog i mean there's a lot of music there i mean is there a certain album that you gravitate to as your favorite or do you like multiple albums the same how do you feel about your the catalog and who, what's your favorite one well it's, it's that's hard to say actually because it's i think there are a lot of great songs on all the all the different albums i'm i'm um i just Went through since I had some downtime now in, in the during the pandemic. I've you know 
gone through the albums and just to refresh in my mind about the uh, the music. And I have to say, it's there are a lot of pretty damn good songs there on on every album. So <laughs> Definitely, you know, it, 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 I remember just getting the feeling that damn, we're we're a good band, <laughs> you know, just like <laughs> reminding yourself of that. But it's uh, it's it's a tough one to pick up um, a favorite album. But I know that I tend to gravitate to, uh, for some reason, Princess in Paradise. Wow. And I guess it's because that album was, was so um, um, sort of uh, shoved, shoved away because it was released just around the time when, when, you know, when Nirvana came around and, exactly. and basically stabbed the 80s. <laughs> To pieces. It's funny that you mentioned that one because I was going to bring that up, but we can bring it up now. Uh, I, I really love that album, and, and I think you've kind of hit it on the head. You know, it kind of was just t- not the right time for that album, maybe with everything that was going on. How was things like in Sweden? Did, did grunge catch on there right away, or, or was there like, let's say, if, if Prisoners in Paradise didn't sell that well in the United States, how did it do like in Europe? Yeah, I think. Um... Sweden and Scandinavia was probably the, the you know the region where where that album sold you know quite okay. I think the album did worldwide just around one million. So mm-hmm. still it, it it was fairly good a good figure. I mean compared with today's <laughs> amazing, but it'd be amazing back today. Then, uh, back then it. Hello. What the hell? Hang on. Do you hear me? Yes, I just lost you for one second. Yeah, I know that we had uh, at least two of the songs from the album were mm, quite high on the charts here in Sweden, and we also had a uh, one of the songs quite high on the charts in in England. So you know, it, it wasn't that all that you know a total fiasco or so. But the problem was that that the the record company didn't want to push it because right. they they were you know. Uh, the grunge was the, the the new thing, you know. So, so it was uh, uh, kind of unfair, uh, unfairly treated, I would say. But but then again, I mean, every band that that was uh, in in the same era, uh, from the same era, you know, went through the same treatment. Basically, I mean, I mean, Sony Records that we had the, the our label label released Alice Cooper's. Um, Hey, stupid! Yep. And Judas Priest, Painkiller, yes. and Bad English, uh, Backlash album, basically at the same time. So they, you know, they they basically took the albums and threw it out the wall, and, and, and you know, picked the one that's that stuck on the wall, sort of, <laughs> uh, and promoted that one. And every uh, all the other albums just was just like swapped away, and um, Princess in Paradise being one of them. Uh, and but also, I think. I mean, even though we had some success in, in 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 Europe and in England, we just felt kind of burnt out at the time as well. Because sure. We had a lot of had a lot of uh, problems with the uh, with the management, and also we've been we had been touring for quite a lot, so we we uh, we just felt like burnt out a little bit. Uh, so I think I think uh, it was a sort of I mean the break that we took after. Uh, the Princess of Paradise tour was uh, inevitably. It, 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 it was. Uh, we had to take that because we were sort of. We were done. We were burnt out. I think. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's so many great songs on that album. Uh, Halfway to Heaven is amazing. Talk to me. So many uh, cool songs on yeah. there. And and I think with, with maybe when you compare it to like something like The Final Countdown, you know, for some people maybe they've heard Rock the Night or The Final Countdown too many times, you know. And when you go to something like uh, Prisoners in Paradise, those songs are kind of fresh. You haven't heard them a million times. So and they're great songs. And like I said, they they haven't been overplayed. So it's kind of a it's a nice gem in, in your catalog for sure. Yeah. Yeah, I think so, and and it, it stands out a little bit um, because I remember when we when we did the pre-production for the album and we were sort of planning the recordings and everything. We uh, we wanted to basically rent an old theater and just use a recording uh, mobile recording studio to record it. You know, set set up the the, the gear as we played live and just do it uh, sort of all live but uh, without an audience. Uh, but obviously the record, uh, I mean, the record company, they, they didn't approve on that uh, idea. Or, uh, so we ended up in a, in a regular studio anyway. But I think still we had a very, uh, we had a very, we were driven and we, we felt a very positive, a positive uh, vibe going into the recordings of the, uh, of the, uh, of the album. But the problem was that during the, the recording of Princess of Paradise, um, Sony sacked most of the people that were working on, on, on the album. So when the, the album was actually recorded and finished to be uh, sort of presented to, to the guys on, at Sony, the, the people that came from the AOR, uh, A&R department to listen to the, to the finished album, they were, we never met them. They were like brand new people that were, were just hired. So they, you know, they came into the recording studio. Okay. Let's listen to the to your new album, and they basically didn't even know what what you know Europe was about. Mm-hmm. So there, the, the only response we got from them was like, uh, "Well, we don't hear any singles. You need to record new uh, more songs, otherwise we won't be able to promote this album." Wow. So the thing was that that the album. So we had to go uh, go back into the writing, uh, you know, crib and 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 try and write new songs, basically. So this resulted in the album being like more than a year delayed. So the problem was that during this year, uh, the, the whole grunge scene right. uh, took on. So it was, as you said, basically very bad timing. Now, with the song, with the original run of that album that you had before they they changed it on you, have you guys put out those songs in, in other ways or where are those songs? Well, the, yeah, the, the the leftover songs were basically. I think we had about ten ten songs uh, that didn't end up on the album, and we used maybe four of those songs, you know, like B sides and bonus tracks. Okay. <clears throat> but there are some other. I, I know that Key Marcello released one or two of the other songs that he, uh, you know, released on on one of his solo albums. Um, I'm not sure, but we haven't done anything as Europe with those songs. And um, I don't know if we, we ever will be doing any, anything, you know, more um, serious about those songs or if we just, um, you know, I think we, we, we tend to, to lean to work on new material and, 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 you know, focus on where we are today and bring that forth. Yeah, well, it's too bad because this this year's the thirtieth anniversary. It'd be nice to have a double album, and you have the original album remastered plus 
the album that you, you know the songs that you had in place before they made the changes that would have been pretty cool for for 30 years yeah that's right that's right i mean the, the only recordings that are <clears throat> existing of, of the of those leftover songs are basically demo tapes mm-hmm. um so they they i wouldn't say that they live up to the standard to to be released as a regular sort of release but yeah as you say it could have been like a like a like a um, you know like a demo or bonus release or whatever uh, double album but we haven't heard anything from we haven't been approached by 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 any record company or sony or any uh, any record label about doing that so it's mm-hmm. um, as far as i'm concerned it, it's it's not going to happen and right now they still own those uh like original albums that you did uh, on sony they still all they own all the masters yeah yeah that's right that's right i think i think we're gonna get them you know back uh in in uh in years mm-hmm. i I'm, I'm not sure exactly when it's gonna happen but it will be happening in in the in the future and um, that will open up totally new uh possibilities to to do something about about the material and see if we can, uh, you know, re-release it. Yeah, definitely. Uh, personally, I, 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 I'm I'm really in favor of, of those kind of releases because it it, it um, you know shows the depth of the band and, and the songwriting and everything. Yeah, and I, I definitely think I definitely think that many of those leftover songs are, uh, you know, as strong as. Uh, you know, many of the songs on the album. Mm-hmm. So now another album. Uh, well, this is the, the huge, the big, big album from you guys that was released 35 years ago. You know, Final Countdown. Were you surprised how big this album became? Because you know, you guys have done a few albums before, and you know, you had some success. But this was just like the breakthrough. I mean, were you guys kind of surprised when this happened? Oh yeah, man. It, it was. It just happened so fast. When once, uh, um you know once it took on it was just like a bomb going off it it we we didn't really have any time to to reflect on what happened during the years when it actually uh was uh, you know hot and high on the on the charts and everything i think we were we were just we just tried to hang on to <laughs> to the to the you know to the runaway train basically you know uh, not to fall off. Uh, everything just happened so fast, and it, ha- it happened everywhere at the same time as well. So, so you know, the, the, between early '87 and '89, it was basically a nonstop tour. So, I, I, I think it wasn't until mid '90s that I started to reflecting on, uh, gosh, what was did that happen? Did I really experience this? Uh, yeah, it, it was really it was really uh, a rocket ride. Yeah, and when you know MTV obviously pl- played a big piece of this, you know, and '86 was just a big year for like the you know the the glam metal or hard rock '80s hard rock, whatever you want to call it. I mean, you've got Bon Jovi and Cinderella and Poison. I mean, everything was kind of exploding, and I mean MTV you know played final countdown constantly rock the night care i mean you guys just was one one right after another so i mean mtv was uh, a big fan of, of for, you know was a big proponent of making this album probably as big as it was yeah definitely i mean um if if uh princess in paradise is the worst timing ever then the final countdown was best timing ever <laughs> and that was the in in every sense you know we had all the rights 
people, you know, in the working force, in the management and at the record companies. And as you said, MTV was just booming and, and we were young and handsome and we had a <laughs> video director who could expose that, you know, in a favorable, favorable way, you know. So we, uh, yeah, I think we gained a lot of success through, uh, through MTV. I think we have a lot to, to thank MTV for, for, for our success. Now, obviously, you came to the States a lot, you know, from, like you said, from 87 to 89. Had you played much in the States prior to the final countdown? No, we've we never been to, uh, to the, we were, the first tour we did uh, in, in the States was in 1987 after the final countdown was released wow. and um, high on the charts. So, yeah, that, that was the first tour we did. And, uh yeah, it was kind of spectacular. We we had our own private jet and everything <laughs> on the first tour, which was yeah, it was really weird. But um, for some reason, uh, the 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 management and and uh, the promoter thought it was a good idea to travel by plane because then we would have a lot of time to do promotion and radio stations and uh, between shows instead of sitting in a in a bus. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, it was we got a taste of luxury. <laughs> Uh, when we did our first tour in, in America, but it was about a bit weird because, because most bands they tour, they do the dog years, you know, and before they even get their own tour bus, and so we were just like lucky, just riding in. That's awesome. And then you get to Out of This World, another amazing album. Uh, I, I might say that I even like this album a little more than the Final Countdown. I don't know what it is about out of this world that I like so much, but I, I don't know. It's just a really, uh, just tons of well-written songs. Great album. Yeah, I agree with you. It's, it's, uh, I, I think in general, the, 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 the song standards, uh, overall standard is higher than uh, on the final countdown. I think so. Uh, the, the only, the only downside, I think, with the, out of this world album is the, I think the production is a little, a little too slick, a little mm-hmm. too eighties. Yeah, it's a little too shimmery. Too, um, but we had another producer on that album, Ron Nevison, who had earlier done Heart and Kiss, Crazy Crazy Nights, and um, a lot of those more sort of pop-oriented hard rock bands, yes. sort of um, or productions, I should, I should say. Um, so yeah, I think the sound is is what what, what what lacks on, on on that album otherwise it's uh yeah i think in general it's a better album than the final count as well now when you guys you redid open your heart and put it on this album what what was the thought process behind that did you feel like that was a song that maybe didn't get a enough uh, attention in the past and, and you thought it had a lot of potential or why did you guys put that one on out of this world um well when we when we signed up for sony records for the final countdown, they also got the, the rights for, for the two first albums to be released. And somebody at the, at the record company liked um, Open Your Heart, the song, uh, and, and thought it should be. But I mean, since Wings of Tomorrow, the, the second album, didn't really, uh, weren't really promoted in any way, um, they thought that it would be a good idea to re record Open Your Heart for, for Out of This World so it could be, you know, promoted as, as, as you know as a new single basically mm-hmm. and um yeah so and i think we all we, i mean we usually played that song live anyways so so it was you know one of those songs that we included 
in the live set. So it felt natural to just uh, re-record it. And I think, I think it turned out pretty okay, but, but um, again, maybe a little, a little too polished for right. my personal taste. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So now you kind of talked about after the Prisoners in Paradise tour, you guys took a long break, but you played with some other bands, right? You worked on other, so you really didn't stop playing. You you did other projects and played with some other bands, right? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I, uh, I played um, I played with Glenn Hughes from from Deep Purple. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, it was me, John Levin, the bass player from Europe, and also Mick Michaeli, the keyboard player from Europe. We all three joined that band, and we did. Well, a couple of uh, European smaller tours, uh, and we did a tour in, in Japan. Yeah, this was in 1994. <clears throat> and that was great fun because to me personally, I mean, Deep Purple is one of my, you know, all-time, uh, you know, like uh, inspirations and, and, and favorite bands. And Ian Pace, I mean, he's the... He's the men, one of the mentors for me when it comes to playing drums. Mm-hmm. So, you know, being asked to play with uh, Glenn Hughes was was a huge honor to me. I think um, so. We did that. Uh, we did that um, Japanese tour, and we recorded a live album on that album, uh, on that tour as well. So, and that was great fun. Recorded in in uh, uh, in Tokyo. It was a great honor to be playing those songs live and actually, you know, being able to have those. Songs songs released with with our versions of it and um yeah i think we received a lot of of good good press from that album from that live album that we did it's funny that you mentioned uh you know deep purple being such an influence because i hear that for a lot of bands that came out of the 80s especially bands that were from you know european countries they love Deep Purple, so Deep Purple had a big impact, obviously, in that era, you know, in that time frame. Because I, so many musicians I've talked to, Deep Purple, Deep Purple, always comes up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, for Europe, um, we, we start with the, the name Europe was taken from the Live in Europe or Made in Europe, as the live album mm-hmm. called that Deep Purple released in what was it, nineteen seventy-five, I think. Uh, so, um, I mean, even the name Europe comes from. from from a Deep Purple album, and, and <laughs> we're we're all we're all you know really uh, huge fans of, of their music and their as musicians and everything. So you know they're definitely with us in in our you know like you know DNAs. Mm-hmm. How about American bands? Were there any American bands that you uh, grew up on as a kid? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean bands like uh, Aerosmith mm-hmm. and and uh, you know Boston and, and Kiss, obviously, Journey. So all those bands were were also uh, huge influence. I think for for, uh, for uh, in general, the, the Europe were probably inspired by, say, Journey's melodic side yeah. and Deep Purple's more bluesier kind of um, aggressive side. So we, I think Europe had have been taking you know different elements from from different bands and. Uh, American and and European bands. Did many American bands play live in Sweden? Were you able to see some American bands, or did you have to mostly see European bands live? Well, I remember uh, uh, Kiss played in in Sweden in 1975, just before they um, released uh, Kiss Alive, or maybe it was, uh, I'm not sure. Well, in 1970, no, it was in 76. 
just around the time when they released uh, Destroyer, but yeah. they weren't very big in Sweden. They played on a on like a fanfare outdoors um, uh, stage. And I know that Aerosmith played in Stockholm and Kansas played in Stockholm. So and Ted Nugent as well. Oh wow! But, but I don't think those I don't think those bands were and you know even half as big in in, in Sweden at least as they were in in uh, in America. Uh, so I think European bands were more more um, you know like bigger here in in Sweden than. Bands like Deep Purple and Led Zeppelin and Black Sabbath. Now, I read something the other day that in your early days you jammed with Ingve Malmsteen. Was that true? Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I I, I remember I, I went to a music uh, store in Stockholm and I was looking for a gig because my band had split up and I saw this uh, ad in, in the music store with with uh, you know saying Ingve Malmsteen's Rising Force needs a new drummer inspired by Deep Purple and, and Paganini and Bach, <laughs> whatever it was. It's a really. mix, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I thought it sounded kind of interesting, so I called him up and, and you know, went there for a, for a, for a jam session and, and sort of audition. And it was, it was um, Ingve and, and Marcel Jacobs, only those two guys okay. from the beginning. And, yeah, and I went. I remember going down to this shitty rehearsal place. You know, it was like uh, it looked like a bomb had gone off in a in a, in a uh, you know. It was just trash and stuff everywhere. And in the so, it, and this place was just big enough to have two Marshall Marshall stacks and a little shitty tiny drum kit there. <laughs> so. Um, <laughs> So even back yeah, then, he, even really back crazy. then, he had the big amps and all that stuff. Wow, that's funny. <laughs> yeah. So in any way, we, we we jammed through a couple of Rainbow songs, and um, and after uh, after that, Ingve uh, said, "Yeah, yeah, you're 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 great. When you're gonna when you when you're gonna bring your drum kit and start playing with us?" And I was kind of because they during the the, the jam sessions they had been fighting all the time just screaming at each other trying to <laughs> outdo their each other you know with playing loud being the loud who, who plays the loudest and who plays the fastest so they were like cats like cat and dog in there and and i was from from you know from the suburb area outside stockholm kind of a shy guy you know and i so i felt really intimidated <laughs> being there so when uh, when ingve well actually invited me to join the band i said well no nah, i don't no, I don't think I can take because I've been offered a, a summer, uh, you know, working at, at, in a store over the summer. So I, I no, I can't take the gig, and I just went away from there. And you got really pissed off. <laughs> oh my god, that's too funny. But yeah, that's a weird story. Well, the, the funny thing is that, like in nineteen, this was in nineteen eighty-two or eighty-three, I think, before he went to the states uh, and the. Well, became sort of famous. To, um, and then I met him once again in 1987. This is like five years later or something mm-hmm. in, in, in a club somewhere. And he was like sitting by the bar and he was totally fucked up. He was just like <laughs> sleeping on the bar, totally drunk. So I, I went up to him and I, you know, tapped him on the on the shoulder and said, hey, hey, Ingrid, do you remember me? <laughs> and, and he looks up, you know, with the crossed eyes and just, you know, uh, and he mumbles something like, Oh, 
it's you, you know, the 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 coward that didn't want to play with us, you know. So, so he re- he was he was still mad about that because wow. I had turned down the offer to play with him. Isn't that crazy? Now, would you have ever thought, like back in '82, that this guy he really did become in the guitar world very big? I mean, you probably played in this little shitty uh, rehearsal space. You probably couldn't envision that this guy would have went on to do you know great things. Yeah, well, you know, we we used to play before. Before he, well, actually, before I, I went to, on this jam session with, with Ingve, we used to play with, uh, well, my band, my previous band, and Ingve, and a lot of other, um, you know, small rock bands from the suburb area of, of, of Stockholm. We used to play in small, in small festivals and stuff together. Mm-hmm. So he was kind of, he was kind of well, well known around the Stockholm area as, uh, as one of the greatest guitar players but obviously you could tell that he was uh, he was something else he wasn't like any of the other guitar players he, he wasn't a, he wasn't a follower he was a leader he, mm-hmm. he was a while everybody else tried to sound like this and that and tried to copy uh, whoever it was thing they had a definite um, a definite uh, sound you know of, of, of his own so um, he, he was unique I think I think everybody could tell that but then uh, that he went that far as he did, I don't think anybody uh, had any, you know, like, um, could have guessed. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I can't imagine they would have. Well, hey, man, this has been great talking with you. I appreciate all the information and the stories that you shared. Anything you want to say to your fans out there in closing? Well, we're uh, just thank you for hanging in there and for waiting this you know, crap out and we will be out and we will be back and we will, you know, bring rock and roll back on the stage. <laughs> All right. All right, Ian. I really appreciate your time, man. All right. Thank you, Mike. Take care now. Well, that was a blast talking with Ian. Now, there's lots more stuff on the way. I recommend you subscribe to the channel. Rock on!